You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is some of my best friends are Kabbalists. I'm Aprom Kivalevich. I'm here with one of my best friends, someone who has incredible knowledge in the world of Kabbalah. I don't know if he wants to call himself a Kabbalist, actually, a Mukubal, but he has done shimush by great men, and he has spent his life involved in intellectual pursuits, and definitely in terms of the mystical area that we call Kabbalah in the Torah. Uh, Rav Nossin, um it is indeed an honor once again to get together uh, I understand that uh general about Makubalim, you know, is that uh was one of one of my Rebbies once told me that uh the people who know don't talk about it and the people who don't know talk about it all the time. So if you find somebody who's who's wandering around saying, Ich bin a Makubal, you know, um at least take that with a grain of salt until you get to know the guy. Mm-hmm. Um so in in my case, however, I have lived in sufficient obscurity for many, many years that I think I have a Cheskas Kashras um, <laughs> at that point. You know, I'm basically pretty much ignored. Um, and uh, I keep a very low profile because I just prefer that way. Anyway, to get to get to the topic at hand, one one of the things that I really wanted to just, you know, re-examine is the, is the idea of a chronology. You know, because if you go back to the Gemara, um, over there in Masechet Sota, so it says, uh, I believe it's Masechet Sota, it says, Kalu kola kitzin, talui ela tovim. And that, that has to do with a certain kind of cosmology. The idea that the universe is going to last for 6,000 years, and then there's going to be a Shabbat, and that's based upon the uh, the six days of creation versus Shabbat. It's, uh, you know, Kisheshit yamim So the world was created in order to exist for six days. Right, and but the way that they had it divided up was alpayim tohu, alpayim torah, and alpayim yimota mashiach, which means to say that the that the the time of yimota mashiach was supposed to be, and you do the chronology much better than I do, but somewhere around the second century of the common of the common era, and and that did not happen, you know. So disappointment was very heavy. Uh, you can you can imagine this is you know people waiting people waiting for Mashiach and it, to, to the point where the Gemara comes and says Kalu kola oh, you know it's all over, it's all over. There are no longer any any deadlines or, or or ends of days that we can look forward to. So we don't know how to explain what happened, right? But all we can say is the game isn't over. We, I mean we still have Torah, Masim Tovim, and Shuva and and all those things, and we have to dedicate, our, dedicate ourselves to doing that because agitating for Biata Mashiach is 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 not going to be helpful since all of the kitzin that we could have influenced have come and gone. Okay. And let me um, just interrupt here for a second for our listeners just to come in with the secular date. Um, so what we what you what we and I think we talked about this last week as well. Yes, which we was did. from the year two forty, uh, common era, and as you said, in a, a period where instead of um, Seeing Mashiach, we actually, as you mentioned last week, so uh, cogently as you put it, we actually saw the rise of Christianity and then Islam a couple hundred years after that, and as sort of a almost like and Claudius Yisrael's ability to influence the world uh, 
sort of went completely awry. And then we have, we talked last week in our Avram Avulafia uh, segment, 1240, which was a thousand years from then. And right. then, you know, if maybe if they freeze our bodies or whatever, uh, we might be able to be around by 2240. Now, 20, no, it's 2121. So it's only 120 years, right? Am I, am I doing the math yeah. right? So I'm someone that you are, yeah. Someone that's born today and who lived at 120, or if we can somehow come up and freeze ourselves, like Ted Williams or whoever else freeze froze their oh, head, no. whatever, or upload our consciousness to the cloud, you know? Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, as many of the great uh, comic book villains did even years ago, you know, um, uh, getting their brain power into some other system. Um, 2240 should be based on this the end right <laughs> so yep. so but before you go on i know what you wanted to do because we you, you texted me this morning about the various and I'm, I'm not trying to steal your thunder but i know what we're talking about is various various dates on that timeline like last right. week we spoke about 1240 and why abulafia was sure or at least was moving towards okay this is a period that that is crucial in terms of the date. And I know we're going to talk about other, we're going to talk about other. Also the, it's also the date of the publication of the Zohar. And of course, in a handwritten manuscript contract. So call it the revelation of the Zohar, the publication of the Zohar, whatever you want. I know. That's when the Zohar gets out. 1240. And then the Zohar itself, as we know, talks about Giluyim using these, these numbers on the spectrum. So we have, of course, 1640, which we know is basically the, the era of the Sabbatean, uh, heresy right. is about 1640. Um, and Tachtat is right after that and, uh, Shabzai. Um, and then we have, of course, which I think you're going to get to. And I'm sort of like pushing us along here as the producer. I think I, I didn't want to steal anything from you, but I think we're talking about some of the events of what we call 1840, right? Or tough race. Right. And call, yeah, at the Hator, Shnat Hator. Right. Call Hator Nishma Be'alzenu. The sound of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. Et Hazamil Hidia, the time for cutting things down has arrived. And, and, um, and, and I think the students of Rabbi Rivlin and Menachem Mendel Sklover were um had in their possession right. the manuscript copies of from the students of the Vilnagon. I don't know if I don't think the Vilnagon himself wrote them, but a book that was called Kolhatar, which was about right. um what would happen as that year, eighteen forty, was supposed to be the start of right. real Gaula. And right. uh, why don't you take it from there? Yeah, I just I just want to go back and, and clarify that there was unlike the chronology or the or the or the eschatology that was there in the time of the Gemara that was you know let's say the old version the Makubalim had a different had a different version same idea that the world is six thousand years but arranged in a different in a different format namely that you were going to have years of Chesed Gvura you know, go through the list of the Sfirot of the, the seven Yemei Habinyan. You know, you have Chesed, Gvurat, Tiferet, Netzach. 
Now, all of those are spirot which, for whatever reason, don't give too much power to the other side. There's not much leakage because we described the idea of leakage in one of the previous, you know, one of the previous uh, talks that that you have a situation where lights or or emanations can leak out of olamat silut and into this, you know, and into the worlds of existence and being, and and that creates um, problems for Jews because Jews are inherently connected to olamat silut and when. When there's a leakage outward, then we are in trouble because we are under the dominion of the uh, of the what they call the klipot or the or the chitzonim, right? And hod the svirav hod is uniquely is uniquely um, aligned with the with the problem of leaking out, right? And there are reasons for this, but let's but let's just say to keep it to, you know to keep it quick. The fact that Yaakov Vina was wrestling with the angel and he was struck on his thigh, okay, and let's assume for a moment that that was the left thigh, even though Gida, that that um, that event symbolizes the fact that the fifth thousandth year, Mechuvan Keneged Hod, or which is you know lined up also in the, on Yaakov's body as his left thigh and leg. Okay, are going to be very, very bad times for, for for Jews when the truth is going to become completely overtaken by the by the um, by the negative reflections of the message of the Torah, and then you're going to have all the tzarot of, of Christianity and Islam, mm-hmm. which were which were many, particularly Christianity in in in, uh, in, in Europe. Once you get to the sixth thousandth year, that is already connected to Midat Yisod, right? And Yisod is that which pulls together all of the lights from all the other Sfirot and communicates them in the direction of Malchut. So Yisod is supposed to be metaken all the rest of the limbs of the body, in particular the in particular the the problematic uh, Hod limb, you know. And pull all of that together, and then convey it to Malchut, such that you have a revelation of Malchut Shemayim in the world, which is the seven thousandth year. But things are supposed to get started during the six thousandth year. Six thousandth year is supposed to be the time when what went wrong in the fifth in the fifth thousandth year is going to become is going to become rectified. So, firstly, the idea that that uh, Kabbalah or Kabbalah um, becomes expansive and more well known just at the borderline between the four thousandth and the fifth thousandth year is extremely significant. And Abu Lafia was Rabbeinu Abu Lafia was was plugged into that, as well as were as well as as well as those who were publishing the Zohar. And so people were really on a you know on a heightened sense of expectationism. At that at that particular moment, let's say 1240 to 12, uh, you know, to, to 1300, something along those lines, and as a matter of fact, something monumental did happen. Okay, the Aserta Shvatim came over the Sambation and they started to kick the, you know, poop out of out of uh, out of the Muslim Empire. Except, oops, they weren't Aserta Shvatim; they were Mongols, and what I heard is. 
you know, Rabbi Ram got to Eretz Yisrael and he met the Mongols and he said, no, they're gonna, no you know, no, I settled the Shabbatim here. And he, and he hightailed it back to, uh, back to Greece or, you know, where, where he could, where he felt a little bit safer. Right. But at least there was a, certainly a partial downfall to one of the major, major empires from which one might say that it still today still has not had, still has not really recovered from, from that onslaught. Because it was it was a terrible onslaught. The Mongols were not uh, you know were not nice. Um, moving right along, the next the next threshold after that really comes about um, I don't know three hundred years later I think two or three hundred years later, which is the fifteens fifteen hundreds. Okay, and the, and there and there you have already the emergence of you know Kabbalat Ramak and Kabbalat Ari. In other words, the sixteenth yeah. century, especially what we could call is the Renaissance in 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 Tzfas, or maybe even greater right. than a Renaissance, because a Renaissance is really technically a rebirth of the old. What you basically uh, have this is, is more of a this is more of a you know a taking rep- what was already and putting it on on steroids a revolution right as when we've yeah. talked about our, our our episode called remark remark re of the proceedings by the way i got a um just to uh somebody one of our listeners sends me a note he says i really like the show but you know uh, rabbi kivalevich after 120 years before you get into your ganadin you're going to be scolded for that terrible pun that you made uh putting making remark re uh, together, uh-huh. and you will definitely uh, have to pay for that. Um, anyway, but the point is, yes, Ramakari is approximately the same time as the uh, right. as called the the fifteen forty, which would be, as you say, the uh, that's right. the beginning of the the fifth, right? Because thirteen from twelve forty to thirteen forty is the first, thirteen forty to second, the fourteen forty is the uh, second, right? And then fourteen forty mm-hmm. to fifteen forty is the third. Fourth, uh, then we go from um, I think about three hundred years. Yes, between right. between let's say the publication of the Zohar and and the and Ramak's commentary to it and right. the Ari's subsequent uh, revelations about 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 that. And I just you know I opened up my Etz Chaim and I took a look at uh, at the Reb Chaim Vital's uh, introduction to that and. It's interesting that Reb Chaim Vital was also really, really feeling the, the, the yearning for for Gulan for and for Mashiach, and he's asking the question like, how is it that three hundred years is well actually he's talking in terms of years from the from Chorban Abayit you know it's been over thousand five hundred years or something whatever whatever number he uses from the time of Chorban Habayit, and we're not saved yet. There's no Mashiach. Nothing's on the horizon. Everything looks everything looks really really bleak, and he and he ha- and he wants to answer the question of why is the Geula held up and what can we do about it? Okay. Now his answer is his answer is very surprising, and this is I think why why it's worthwhile sharing. So number one, he definitely sees that Kabbalah is the solution to the problem of why Geula is not happening. And he bases himself on various passages in the Zohar, Tukunei Zohar, where his his point is essentially this: as long as Jews are just learning Gemara, Shas, and Paiskim, I'm even afraid to say this. As long as Yidden are just learning Gemara, Shas, and Paiskim, they're only learning for their own sake. They can't be learning Lishma. 
The only way that you can learn Lishma is if you start learning um, if you start learning Kabbalah. Now, makes you wonder why, how, how conceivably could that be? Like, you know, what they don't learn Lishma. I mean, and you know, and even and even Chaim Vital actually he he says that he says the Zayar says that. But I mean, are we talking about all the all the all the Chachamim uh, of Am Yisrael are 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 selfish and self-centered? That's you know that's not possible. But his point his point is that as long as you don't have Kabbalah, in the end, all you have is self-interest, because the the idea of Hakadosh Baruch Hu as absolutely perfect, who doesn't need anybody, who doesn't need anything. Therefore, means that whatever I'm doing in Torah mitzvahs, I can only be acting for my own self-development, for my own attainment, so I can get to my shleimus. And no matter how selfless I need to be in order to get there, because in order to be a shleim, you also have to achieve a, a kind of shelo almanat lekabel pras. But in the end, you're always stuck in the fact that beyond my own self-development, there's nowhere for me to go. Mashenkin, if you learn Kabbalah and you have the concept of the Olam Atzilut, which is a world that takes you beyond being and into God's Hakadosh, Hakadosh Baruch Hu's, so to speak, inner life of His attributes and His names and 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 His and His thoughts and His ideas and and His desires, and you you start operating in that world, then you are really doing something. For Hashem, you're out of your own self, so you, you liberate yourself from your ego entirely, and you get to this point where you can actually do Tairulishma. Tairulishma means I am learning in order to bring about unifications of Hakadosh Baruch Hu's midot, and I'm operating in Olam Atzilut, and that means that my Torah is finally, finally selfless. And in that zchut, you're going to be able to bring Olam Atzilut down to this world. And through doing that, you get Gula. Gula is going to happen when you have Gilu Shechina and Olam Azeh, and I, I don't think I need to elaborate on, on why that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. let, let me just uh, throw in um, you know, the corrective, and it might have been primitive in some ways, but the corrective that Rav Chaim uh has to that, which of course is one of his cardinal points about what Torah Wishma means, he says you cannot sacrifice your uh, cogency and, and, and the brilliance that you apply. You need to really be alarmed and understand it. You just have to be holding with, in other words, when you're learning, you've got to be as solid as a Rakhachover or as a Briskarov or as a Rivkivager, any name you want to say. Um, you can't allow, while you're learning, the the words and the and the shas in front of you or whatever steer you're trying to explain or as you're trying to push through the Talmudic texts, you can't allow them to just explode into numerology and allegory. You have to understand Vushtet, but at the same time, it's got to be done in this selfless way, recognizing the power of learning Taira, right? So you are sort of splitting yourself, n- not relieving of the the fact that you're trying to do it not just for yourself and for your own self-aggrandizement but when you're doing it you're applying yourself with 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 brilliance and sharpness to be able to really explain it to yourself and to others i think that's what he was worried about 
Now he again. Yes. This is this is what. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in this in his uh, statements that could be could be taken all sorts of ways, and and in all likelihood there are some things about the original version that Rebbeim Velozhin didn't even like. All right. Um, I mean the the idea is is that is that Gemara isn't enough. If you have Gemara and you don't have Torah aside, you just you don't have you don't have the kind of Torah that can bring Mashiach or can, or can bring the Geula. Okay, you, your Torah is always trapped by ego needs, whether you recognize it or not. For as long as you're, you know, for 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 as long as you're not mixing in olam uh, atzilut, you know, and that's a that's a really that's a rough thing for a you know for a, for a yeshiva for a yeshiva lamdin to hear. I mean, I I personally don't know if I necessarily buy into it. And a and a student of the Vilna Gaon that we talked about before, certainly, who was certainly. You know, and by and 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 by the way, the Vilna Gaon can be a can be as far as any any Litvak is concerned, or frankly, I think as any reasonable person is concerned, the Vilna Gaon can be a bar plucked of Rabchaim Vital, and it can be a bar plucked of the Aria coalition. Sometimes the Vilna Gaon did not exactly agree with the did not exactly agree with the Aria either in his comments to the Zayar. So you know, and yeah. and by the way, Rabchaim Vital can be can be a bar plucked also because he was you know he was on the he was on the Mavika. Okay, and you know the Ramchal, as you would imagine, is much closer to you know much closer to um. Yeah, I, I understand. The Rambam and, again, and, and, and the I don't want to. I don't want to be guilty of conflation. I just I, I what I'm just and, and you're right. Rav Chaim Velozhner is a is is a specific critique of uh, of 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 that. Com, you know this complete. Hey, you know, don't believe that living a mystical life is. A rejection of being a solid uh, learner in, in Talmud because right. he he was afraid of there being this type of split. Now, in terms of the going, I I just want to just point yes. out that there yeah. are many who believe that Rav Chaim Velozhner was a was a lover of the going, was a loving student of the going, but not necessarily in line. With where the gone was, um, and 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 that could be, and I just and so therefore I, I it would it's wrong for me to say well Rav Chaim that's the gone, that's one thing, and, and just before that I just want to say one other thing on that note since we're talking about Rav Chaim the gone, you are very aware, I'm sure, and if not, I'll let you and others know that the Alter Rebbe, before I guess he was called the Alter Rebbe. For sure, was asked about the Vilna Gon <laughs> and his his Nagdus to Chsidis, and in general the Vilna Gon as a as a thinker, and this was before much of the material from the Gon and Tikune Zohar and Safradit Nyusa and other Burim of the Gon came out. So he wrote this when things from the Gon were somewhat murky, but the Alter Rebbe wrote in a letter. That the Gon rejected Ari, so he felt the Gon was very much Kabbalah Derachazoar, and the Gon didn't really believe in the 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 principles of the Ari completely, and especially when it came to Tzimtzum, he felt that right. the Gon had uh, had a different conception of Tzimtzum, which he believes explains why the Gon uh, had such a Fiery uh, beef with Hasidim against Hasidim. So, go. So all of that, all of that, all of that exactly dovetails with what I heard from uh, from my rebbe's. 
Um, and um, I actually, I actually once asked my Rebbe, my my Litvisher Rebbe, okay, you know, what is the, you know, how does he, how does he look at the relationship between the between the Goyen and the and the Ari? Because there were some, I mean, you know, there's some there's some questions like some kind of odd questions if you really think about it. like should you should you wear your payas in front of your ears or 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 should you wear them behind your ears and how long should your payas be because the the area Kodesh had opinions about payas payas should not be very long and they shouldn't and they, they shouldn't ever mingle with your beard hairs okay and and the, this these psokim from from the area Kodesh never never really got out there by by ashkenazim and and they said listen you know we have our traditions. He had he, you know, the, he has his traditions. And in any event, as far as the gun was concerned, um, the Ariya Kaddish was an achron, and like any other achron, you know, he doesn't have the whole uh, doesn't have the whole thing. Whereas the Alter Rebbe writes that the Ari was like a Tana or greater. He says that the Hiskalis of the Ari was sort of something. You know, that could that he he makes him almost a, a prophetic figure, and we talked about the Ari before. Yeah, so. I mean, and just and just 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 imagine how your how your Sfardishim Kubalim take to that. I mean, by by them the the Ari is Kodesh Kodeshim, and you know, uh, um, I don't know whatever however however you want to say it. You know, you don't mess with the Ari. They don't call him lion for nothing, and and if it's not Ari, we're not interested because. Uh, He's the, you know, he's the one. He's the it. He's the whole. He's the, he's the uh, beginning and the end. End of story. So gone me will not not you know od shikanosi. You know, let's talk a little bit. I want to just yeah. push this a little bit, Nelson. Um, we talked a little bit about 1640, and we talked about the right. messianic pranks. Let's talk about. Let's go to the next two. Yeah, and, and I will. I will just. I just say very quickly. You can. You can understand for a lot of reasons why the revelation of the Kabbalah of the Ari is considered to be a a, a defining moment as, of the coming of the coming Geula. Okay, there's also something they're having to do with the idea that you know one of the things that the Ari discovered in the Zohar was this whole idea of of lifting up Nitzotzot. You know, and that our job as Jews in Galut is to wander around the planet. Picking up fallen sparks of holiness and and lifting them up, so that when we finish wandering around the planet, picking up fallen sparks, then the partsufim will now be bishlemutam; they'll be complete, and then from that completion comes the comes the geula that we're all waiting for, which is the penetration of olam atzilut down through the worlds of briyah yitzirah asiyah, down to makom bet hamikdash and eretz yisrael and and, right. and all that. And that. And I think just to comment on that, that is something that Gershon Shalom and others have pointed out is a way to right. deal with the stira between the inner and outer reality. Again, the the Geul is happening. Look how downtrodden we are. Look how uncentralized we right. are. What the Ari right. provides with this approach is an answer, and it's actually part mm-hmm. of the process. We're we, right. we are gathering the sparks in ways that. Are 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 not necessarily noticeable to people who are not in the mystical world. Now seven. Now when we go to Tuf Kuf and uh, Tuf Reish, um, you know Tuf Kuf, you have seventeen forty. You have sort of the beginning, I believe, of uh, of the movement of Ashkenazim back to Eretz Yisrael. Right? You have the star. You have, you have of course, the Rabbi right. Yudah Chosid, who was a mm-hmm. Sabbatean, basically. Um, and that happens. No, was it? <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah. 
you say something. <laughs> that was his whole chevra. I mean, his whole group were were Sabbath. We're basically Shabsoyim. I mean, they. But anyway, but you do have the beginning of the of the Ashkenazi return to Eretz Yisrael around 1740. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you do have eventually within the next 30, 40, 50 years, the Chassidim, the Menachem Mendel Vitebsk and others. So you definitely right. have. Uh, yeah. uh, and they're all and by the, and they're all riding on this idea that you're you're in the sixth thousandth, you're in the set of six of the you're in the sixth millennium, and that means that at various points along the line you're going to have this activity of midata yisod, gathering together the different strands of shefa from the other spheres and conveying them to malchus, which is the key to the key to biyas hamashiach. And the idea that the Yehud of, of Yesod and Malchut, which is being undertaken, has to start before the 7,000th year. Right? Because, it, because it, you know, Yesod is involved. It's not like Yesod is nothing and, you know, and then suddenly in the 7,000th year it all comes, yes. you know, it all comes pouring out. You know, there's a Malchut in Yesod also. And the only question is when exactly is that aspect of Yesod becoming activated? Right. Uh, there, there's, there's no way for Yisod to be mityached with Malchut if there isn't a Malchut in Yisod and a Yisod in, in Malchut. Okay, and and so therefore you can expect the Geula quite before the actual advent of the of the seven thousandth year. Question is exactly when. They, the, I so, know that one of I know that in the uh, discussions of what was occurring in this time, um, was the idea not only the Chassidim would come. But of course, the strengthening of uh, the Sephardic Mukuboim in a way that was uh, they right, and we talked about Kabbalah's Rashash a little bit before uh, me and you did on the uh, b- before we started recording. But one of the things that 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 you you hear a lot is that 1740, the Arachayim Hakadosh was already in Eretz Yisrael, and mm-hmm. you hear this idea that the Balshemtovs. I think he even indicated had the Baal Shem Tov made it to Eretz Yisrael, then there would have been that would have been it. That would have been. The he was on that, his way because Rav Gershon Kittiver had written him a letter about the Orachayim, and there was right. this idea that if there would have been these strands would have come together, and the Orachayim and the Baal Shem somehow met in uh, seventeen forty about that. That again would have been a, a great hechsher for the Geula. The two strands of Kabbalistic or right. mystical thought. Yeah, even even though you know the mystical thought in Morocco and and uh, the Ukraine are really very very similar. Okay, it's kind of if you get if you get to know Sephardim, you get to know that that Morocco has an umbilical cord yes. straight to you know straight to to Poland and and uh, and yes. and um, you have the Minhagim, the Moroccans Minhagim about uh, the Moroccans have. Uh, Gibrooks, not Gibrooks. They have the minig of uh, of they don't eat kidneys, they don't eat rice. Yeah, but that, those, that's 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 because of that's because of the uh, of the rush, you know, because the rush was in Spain, and after the Gerush, uh, his grandchildren settled in in Morocco. So Moroccans ended up with a lot of Ashkenazi things, but on top of that, there was some sort of there was some sort of there was people traveling between between Eastern Europe and and Morocco, Dafka and. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a Moroccan family, a famous Moroccan family of tzaddikim, also called Mishpachad Weissman. You know, so uh, it's it's so it's, it's pretty it's it, it's pretty interesting. Although I I really I never I never got it, I never really 
was able to be mishaber to the to the you know to the davening and the singing and the and their music. I was never able to really to be mishaber to that, but I, intellectually, ideologically, and in, especially when it comes to reverence of tzaddikim and aliyah lekever and and all that sort of stuff. So there, there oh, and I, I think the strand just to, to the flavor is very very much the well, same. There's a reason why the Rachayim Hakadosh becomes the most beloved sefer on Chumash. In the Chesidish Shavel, there is Chesidish, yeah. And you know, clearly there is there are a lot of lines of 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 similarity. Um, and mm-hmm. he actually not only be, not only is he similar Be'etzim, but he becomes part of the Chesidish library. So let's talk about let's yeah. I, again. I want to just push us here. Let's talk about 1840 around that, and we know that the Zohar okay. talks about. I think the term is. That, there, that it's the term of the Shari Chochma or Nizgale, right? That Tor is Shar. There's something about that 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 date that there, I don't remember the exact yeah. term, but the Shari Chochma somehow get thrown wide open, right? So, what are some of yeah. the things that that occur then? Well, to, I mean, to begin with, the Talmud Agra are moving are moving up to Eretz Yisrael because Shnat Hator. Is um, Shnata Torah? I looked. I looked it up. It's like 1845, mm-hmm. right? And it is. It is interesting that there are things actually happening in 1845. Things were going down in 1845. You, you wouldn't imagine world-changing, you know, uh, gigantic things. But like um, the emergence of what you call um, Christian Zionism, you know, the fact that you have a bunch of English gentlemen sitting in, uh, you know, sitting in London, uh, who are who are having conversations, let's say, with uh, with representatives of the of uh, the Ottoman Empire, urging them to allow the Jews to uh, to take over Eretz Yisrael and and set up a civilization there. Right. This is this is something that becomes fairly prevalent in in English. Um, in English thought and in English religious uh, thinking, and it actually does form the the basis of the basis of what was eventually to become the Balfour Declaration. I would say roughly eighty years later. Okay, there's this whole agitation that that begins in England about about reestablishing the Jews in in Eretz Yisrael. And we, we, by the way, we continue to benefit from this because because that same that same attitude crossed over to the to the uh, American evangelicals and and uh, you know. So I, I can't help but you know that's a very mixed blessing because they're also trying to convert us at the same time that they're that they're supporting us. You know, we, and, you have uh, Moses the reason why they support us going. The reason why the evangelicals support us going to Eretz Yisrael and strengthening our our position there is because they believe that once we do that, then the Geula is going to come, and then it's not going to be our guy; it's going to be Rahman al-Islam, you know, Lahav sure. the other guy. So it's not like they—I don't know to what extent they really have a, a deep inner passion and love for for Yidden. They just have their own, you know, they have. Well, you their, know, their I, own I think everybody knows that they are. Um, uh, missionaries and uh, Jesus freaks in that sense, and they—that's—and that, yet we sort of been riding this alliance with them politically, and we've been taking their money like crazy, you know, and their support. So you're right, and there are—I have to, I have to, you know, I have to be honest. You know, there, there are these, there are these, and there are those. You know, it's not, it's not all one, it's not all one uh, okay. stripe. 
and I, as, you know, my, my personal feelings about it is that is that part of the process of Geula, which also began, you know, back in the back in the 1640s or something, was was when when uh, you know Martin Luther. No, was it was earlier than that. Martin Luther broke with the Catholic Church, and the power of the Catholic Church was broken. And and then and then you had Henry the you know then you had Henry the Eighth with his with his with his wives and with defying the Pope. And, and I mean wars and tribulations and tumultuous centuries that you know basically obsessing with the idea of what is the true way to get you know to to get to God. And eventually, what comes out of that are are versions of Christianity which do not necessarily. They may, may, they may, or may they, or may have not, but they do not necessarily have the the, um, the venom, the the venom, or in particular the desire to to convert us all. There, are, I know, I know lots of good Christians who who have accepted the idea that Jews don't have to convert to Christianity. Christianity was never meant for us. Mm-hmm. So I figure, you know, if Christianity gets to be that, gets to that position, then already that's a massive tikkun. Um, you know, the Catholic Church did that in in Vatican II. Yeah, right. Yeah, assuming that that just wasn't a political apologia because of the shadow of the Holocaust and other things. Okay, you know what? Listen, it it remains to be seen. But uh, you know, but the, no, look, I, I think you know John Paul came there. It's really was very nice. Um, you know, you're right. I and, was painting them with too broad of a brush, and and I think that many of them are just going to wait for the eschatological reality to play out meanwhile yeah. they don't want to stab us and kill us and that's great yeah the fact that well, they... that's that's always that's always good yeah but at the you know at the at the same time you know there are christians and there are christians i the christians that do want to convert us have become much smarter okay and they know how to pretend they they know how to mamish be chazirim in the sense that you know they can stick their bottom feet out and, and so show their simane kashras I have to, like I have to I get I get a call from my uh from my um from my daughter-in-law who asks me whether we I should buy these comic books of the Torah you know and I'm looking at the comic book and it you know I tell you what it doesn't take me more than 5 minutes to realize that this is that this is Christian and I'm not even looking at the at the at the episodes in the back of the book i was looking at the episodes in the front of the book you know if you if you're magshim hakadosh baruch Hu in your depictions of of, uh, of adam and chav in gan Eden, okay this is not a, this is not done even though the hebrew is really good okay and an uneducated person could not tell okay that there's christian content lurking in there and this stuff is all over the internet and it's 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 a problem so Or the or the love of our Christian neighbors. Okay, so something, you know, you need an Evan Bochan, but but there's a lot of good, sincere people out there. Well, also, that happens. And, and that the happens. Theological, okay. The theological transition is not so easy for them, but it's coming. In my opinion, it's coming. Yes. So that's that happens around Shnas Tafresh. I also I was trying to interrupt you before. I think. Oh yeah, sorry. Not. No, no. I, I was. I always interrupt. That's my problem. But here's the thing: we have Moses. I always Mont- talk too much. That's my problem. You know. Okay. So. Mo- okay. <laughs> Moses Montefiore, of course, was some. Was, was ah yes. So Moses Montefiore, in many ways, is really uh, that type of figure. That um, you know, he wasn't like Benjamin Disraeli, who was sort of like the symbol of the Jew who had given up. Here was Moses Montefiore. 
who could really make a case of being even an Orthodox Jew who was one of the, the wealthiest and most important, prominent um, English Jews who made it uh, uh, one of his prime, uh, I wouldn't call it a struggle, one of his prime uh, uh, projects that he was involved in was dealing with the future of the Holy Land and how it would become a place for Jews uh, to in, to gather. And that is definitely, he's from England. Again, it, it's Montefiore right. is definitely a symbol of that. You know, let's wrap this up because I think we've set the table for some things to come, but I know. So I'm going to, I'm just going to break in here and I'm going to say that, that we, we need to meet, we there's a, a date here that we need to be mitzayin, and it is the date of uh, Tafshin Lamed Vav and Tafshin Samach, which occurs in Hasidic Shatayrez. It's, uh, it's, it's in the Kamarna Rebbe. It's based upon So it's based upon that. And, if you, and two years of days is 365 times two. And that's somehow supposed to add up to Tafshin Lamed. Tell me if it does, because, you okay. know, 700 and, 730. And then you take the, the um, um, you know, the word Shana and Shana, which is, which is six letters for two years. And then you add that to Tafshin Lamed. You get Tafshin Lamed Vav. Tafshin Lamed Vav was 1975, which was supposed to be Biasa Mashiach, according to this according to the Shita. And incidentally, I think that 1975 is the momentous uh, year during which you and I met. <laughs> <I hear. laughs> you know, who knows who, what was going knew? on who? in Shemayim? You know, who, yeah, who would have guessed, right? But aside from that, I also think it's, it's, the, it's the time in which the, which the uh, Lubavitch Rebbe went really, um, you know, full throttle on, on the Mashiach thing. I think I recall that uh, quite well. And then for some reason, Tafshin Samach, which is 24 years later, which I guess has to do with Yom, because, uh, you know, because a Yom is 24 hours. So, so there's the, add another Yom to the Shnosayim Yomim, so that gives you another 24 years. And then you have Tafshin Samach. Now, Tafshin Samach was... 2000. Recently, about the year 2000. Okay, so you have it, so it's, so it's after the fall of the Iron Curtain, you know, like, so, so there was also, even though the, the you know, the Rebbe had already been, uh, was already, was already Nifter, but there was still a lot of ag- agitation, Mashiach, 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 Mashiach. And, 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 uh, although I don't know who acknowledges it, but the people who know about these things were agitating because of the significance of the, of the dates. These are dates that are known in, uh, interesting in, in and Kabbalah. I guess, you know, I, I, and know- well, I know we put a, we left a, again we left a lot on the table in terms of you know uh, what happens in I, I'm just going to throw this out and, and we'll end on this in the Chiddush when they talk about Tafresh they talk about the Shari Chachma and I've heard from the Chiddush in both of these areas the Chabadskers talk about the fact that Semach Tzedek started his deep Maimorim in Chiddush. Because he was known, of course, as the most brilliant Talmudist and learning. He mm-hmm. was considered, of, the, of all the Rebbes, he was considered the, other than the Alta Rebbe, he was considered the one who had, was with the complete package. So that was when the Tzemach Tzedek started his deepest Maimarim. And that was also when the Ishbitzer, 
had broken from the his the Ishbitzer broke, of course, from his Rebbe the Kotzker and started unloading his package of sort of antinomian uh incredible ideas about you know the the, the double truths and things like that. I've heard mm-hmm. those are the events that in the in, in the in the in the Machshava world that really indicated we're really on the on the runway for Geula, yeah. as far as that goes. The biggest the biggest issue with Geula nowadays is really the question of of does Geula come through uh, contemplating Olam Atzilut and bringing in, bringing Olam Atzilut into this world through meditation compl- contemplation, Avodat Hashem, lifting up sparks and all that sort of stuff, which is which is not really a practical application. Or does Geula require us to actually do something? Okay. And part of the part of the downfall of Shabtai Tzvi was something of the repudiation of doing it solely through spiritual means. And if you if you do we have a minute? Yeah, look, I can always edit okay. down. There's a of... there's a new okay, well fine. There's a there's a kind of a new approach to, to Shabtai Tzvi, you know, because we usually think of him as being episode you know, um, a manic depressive character and 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 Natan Haazati is episode Eisvarf and and the two of these guys got together and convinced everybody that they were Mashiach, but it was really, it was really a false Mashiach. This is, you know, these days among scholars, there's a different picture that's beginning to that's beginning to emerge. That Shabtai Tzvi might have been, you know, might have been the sort of person that didn't do anything more bizarre than other Mekubalim did for for, for making Mitikunim, and that Natan Haazati was a Talmud Chacham a Yerei Shemaim that everybody that every, that everybody held of. Their plan was simply to take all this koyach ruchni and go up against the sultan. And they did. And what happened was the sultan didn't budge. And and the reason why Shabtai Tzvi accepted upon himself uh, Islam was not because he lost his nerve and because, you know, he was on a high the day before and then suddenly he woke up in the next the next morning and his his uh, his his uh, emotional state had completely collapsed. It wasn't that at all. It was that the Sultan made very clear to him that listen, if you die Al Kiddush Hashem, I am not going to let the Jews in my lands survive this event. Because if I, I know that if I kill you, they're gonna make you into a hero and then the agitation is never going to stop. So you know, you can you can you can be mit aslem and save all of your brothers and sisters. Or you can die on Kiddush Hashem, and you're going to take a lot of people with you. Shabtai Tzvi was not willing, was not willing to die on Kiddush Hashem, you know, and sacrifice. Okay, who knows? Hundreds of thousands of Yidden along with him. So he really tried to repudiate his own Meshichistic kite. Okay, but people didn't want it. People didn't want that. So then Natan Haazati cooks up this whole thing about Mashiach has to do has to go completely over to the Klippas in order to in order to elevate the sparks, and then you get the whole antinomian whole antinomian thing. Wow. So this 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 allows us to, to see him sort of as a yeah. tragic hero. Okay, look, we, we're on the timeline and 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 and, and we've right. run out of time. So okay. we will uh, so, try to pick up on some of these strands uh next week with Next time. Some of my best friends are Kabbalists. Take care, everybody. Yes. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.